Welcome to the Coach Cameron Podcast. This is episode 736. With me is Darren Tui, uh, coming from all the way from Australia a long time ago. When did you get to the States? 1995. Came over with two suitcases to, thought I'd play college soccer for a year or two and never left. Oh, nice. Well, we're going to talk all about that shortly, but first, we have a sponsor, we have, oh, that's not a sponsor. Sorry about that. This is a one-take podcast. We're not live uh, because it's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Mother's Day to all you wonderful mothers. We have a great video clips that we're going to show your way and we're going to discuss. But looking to boost your business leads and sales with expert marketing automation, botsguy.com has got you covered. They specialize in automating social media, email, SMS, and websites tasks so you can focus on growth. Say Goodbye to manual tasks and hello to increase efficiency, customer engagement, and revenue growth. Check out botsguy.com now to learn more. Also, we have um, a futsal league at Phoenix College. You can go to go.coachcameron.com to register today. It's $400. We have a uh, summer league that will be going on beginning in June. Through July, you can pick the dates you want to play. We can double you up. There's eight total games. It's only $400 plus playoffs, trophies for the winners, and medals. Uh, go to go.coachcameron.com to sign up today. All right, Darren, I'm done there. Uh, so, Darren, let's talk to you a little bit. You, straight from Australia, 1995, you arrived to go to what university? Well, I was an exchange student in 1989 in high school. Where? Ended up in Mason, Michigan, just outside of East Lansing. Oh, wow. And I, I said, I don't want to play soccer. I want to play American football. So I didn't bring any of my soccer gear. First day of school, the soccer coach heard there was a foreigner on campus. So he found me, dragged me to soccer practice. and Of course. And I played soccer and state champs. So I was very happy. Good decision. Yeah, I saw that. I, I have, uh, let me see if I can pull it up. I uh, let me know if this is you and forgive me. I don't, I don't have it support. I am it. Let me throw this on. Is this you? Yep, is that, that you? That's the state championship game right Look, there. You're the goalie. Yep. Wow. State champion, Darren Tui. Yeah. I found that on, I Googled you. I had a lot more hair huh. back then. Well, you had a uh, beautiful hair all the way through, um, uh, college as well to the thunder, but le- which college did you go to? Well, I was being the exchange student, so I met some coaches over here and got recruited to come back and play, but I didn't really want to at that stage. Uh, I was playing futsal in Australia and traveling around the world and playing soccer as well. And I was good enough to play and travel around the world and not good enough to make any money. So at 24 years old, I said, do I want to keep doing this till I'm 30-something? Or can I leverage playing to come to the States? I Used to have coaches keep calling me. But then at that stage, I was 24. So I was a 24-year-old freshman when I came to the U.S. And then you nice. had limited uh, opportunities then with 
back then the old NCAA clearinghouse where pretty much now you could be a professional 40-year-old and probably play Division One. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, ended up at a, a small school in Ohio, but this is pre-internet. So I thought every university in America was like what I had seen on movies growing up. Arizona State, Florida State. So um, I ended up in the middle of nowhere, Ohio, at a school with 850 students. Um, had no idea, but fantastic soccer team. Started there, stayed there for a year, went to the Sweet 16 in the tournament, and then uh, transferred to another school, Hope College in Michigan, where I had some friends from I high set, school on the team. I sent one player to Hope College. Hope is a is the best Division three sports school in the country by far. It's absolutely the, just the facilities. What the, Their basketball team, when we play the arch rivals, Calvin College, can draw 15,000 to a game. They have to play it in a neutral site. They, that's how big sports are. There. Oh, wow. Everything's new. New football stadium, soccer stadium, basketball stadium. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, I sent one athlete to Hope College, um, and he got through the semifinals of the tournament. But yeah, it was it was a big deal um, to send someone uh, across the country, and that was back in two thousand like eleven. So, but anytime you're able to move kids, now we move kids all over the place from Phoenix College. But um, so. How'd you end up in Arizona? That's how we met. Yeah, well, I I graduated three years and graduated, and I said to people, where is it warm and dry? Because <sighs> I'd been to Florida. I didn't like the humidity. I didn't like the Midwest. It was too cold, and someone said Arizona, and I didn't even know where it was on the map. So my spring break of my last year in undergrad, I flew down here. My brother was playing soccer with me in, in college. Flew down here, snowy Michigan March. 88 degrees in Phoenix, checked out ASU, palm trees, beautiful weather, and I said, I need to come here for grad school. So came to grad school. Yeah, and, and we met. Uh, we played club ball together. We'll talk about that in a second. But so you, you have a futsal career. You, you were into futsal. So back in Australia, correct? Yeah, I started when the indoor soccer. I don't know if you ever played it this way with the big fluffy tennis ball. Did we used to play like the big, the soccer ball was like a tennis ball and you play I, on I've a gym court. It, but, That's but. how indoor soccer was. And then futsal, you know, really hit where we were probably, you know, the, the late 80s. And it was pretty big in Australia. We had a, you know, eventually had a pro league. Um, but then played futsal and club and we would have national championships every year and, you know, won some national championships. And that led to the, I think it was the U20 national team. And we went to... Argentina, Uruguay on tour, um, then made you know different youth national teams. The under twenty three team we went to the Soviet Union when it was a Soviet Union, and then we're in line. It was going to be an exhibition sport at the Olympics, but claim to fame never happened because they didn't make it an exhibition sport. And then you yeah, moved up to the the men's national team. So did, did we? How did we meet? Was it through ASU Club or a, ASU Club? Yeah. Okay. So uh, for the ones that don't know, uh, and Darren and I are national champions. And it was a big deal. Like, it, the competition was like, it was legit. Well, you think in the PAC, then PAC-10, now PAC-12, is it only UCLA? What, what men's teams are there in the PAC-12 for soccer? Uh, Stanford, Stan- UCLA, uh, Cal Berkeley. Um, there's, there's, none in Arizona. Yeah, there's, there's not many. So when you get a big school like Arizona State or all the other schools in the Pac-12 around the country, 
You've got you know, players like you that have played pro. Our friend Jason Vanacore, who had played at Stanford, was doing law school, played pro. Yep. All of a sudden, you get all these pro guys, XD1 guys, X guys that have played around the world. We had a, I can't remember his name, but a kid from Japan on the team. And the competition we were playing was pretty darn good because there's no eligibility rules. I thought it was a, a, a fun two years that I played there. Yeah, the, the only eligibility you needed was you had to be registered. Yeah, I think so, a full-time student at, yeah. at the school. Yeah, so the uh, – and there was uh, indoor professional players on the opposing team in addition to us. But uh, I know uh, Texas A&M, we played them in the final. Um, so Darren Tui got the MVP – of the tournament and it was actually between him and I, he didn't allow a goal and I scored almost all the goals. So <laughs> good combination. I just kicked the ball long and let Dave chase it. In the net. It was fun. Like yeah. the, I remember teams would show up just to cheer against us. Cause we were the, I guess, perceived top did you, team. Did you go on the trip when we played BYU and we mm. were state, we went to BYU and what they didn't have men's programs. You'd play on a Friday night, two and a half thousand people under the lights. I mean, there's not a lot of D1 programs that get two and a half thousand. Yeah, no. Like, B1. So some of the, the teams we would play would be, you know, it would be a big deal. So it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And, and remember Texas A&M, we played them in the final, but that was the same year that they had that bonfire accident. Yep. And we did that moment of silence and all that. But um, it was cool, it, and it was uh, pretty significant because we win the national title, and ASU's never won bef- a national title in men's soccer since or before. We're the only ones that have ever won it. I think I texted you last year. My son, now nine, was playing futsal at ASU, and I was like, Dave, isn't there a banner? And you're like, yeah, you've got to go into one of the practice gyms. Yeah. So I'm <laughs> walking around campus, and I found the gym, and I proudly brought my he was eight then son in and said, hey, Daddy, help win that banner. And he, Looked at me like, I don't care. Can I go back and play with the other kids? So. I, I remember when I saw it because I was there watching uh, handball. I was watching one of my players uh, play handball, and there's there's the banner. I'm like, oh, we, well, I didn't even know we had a banner because we never really celebrated it. And of course, we talked about it, and we, you know, it, it, we had it set up, and then Tyson Lane uh, decided, like, oh, let's try to do it in, uh, during a football halftime. And then that just kind of killed it. So I blame Tyson Lane. So Tyson, well, every couple of years you bring it up, we're going to do a ceremony. We're going to get rings. We're going to get some recognition. We're, we're going to have to do it like at a soccer game. It's well, going to have to be at a women's soccer game. I remember we got to play one game at the ASU women's stadium. You had to leverage your connections and the coach yeah. wasn't happy that you got us to play one game at the stadium. We brought in a nice, decent crowd for that one. That, so we should go back yeah. there. That was my yeah. That, that was my father-in-law who was a large contributed contributor to ASU at the time. So it cost us the library, but we got a game in the women's stadium. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how it went. But uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about um, our time from ASU club. So you did ASU club, and then of course that's kind of how I met you. And then I twisted your arm to play with the Thunder. Well, no, you had a um, you were playing. Indoor soccer. What's the place out west? The Coliseum? No, no. For We were playing in like a local league. Oh, like ASC? Yeah. You said, hey, do you want to come play indoor? We need a goalkeeper for my team. So I'd played futsal. I'd never played. You know, we always called it as the American ice hockey soccer yeah. with the wall, which was different. So we were playing in a local league, and your Thunder coach, Peter, was on your team. Oh, Peter Barrett. He was good. Oh, 
He was amazing. He was like the oldest. Well, we're probably older than he was back then now, which is scary. But he was the oldest guy out there, and people were like, who's this old guy? And you couldn't take the ball off him. So, so we were technical. playing in the league out there. It was a pretty strong, tough league, if you remember. It, it was actually soccer locker. Soccer locker. Yeah, right down, it's right down the road. Down the head, yeah. yeah. So we were playing in that, and then um, I said I'd never played it before. So yeah, similar to futsal, there's people shooting a ball at you. It comes yeah. in fast as a goalkeeper. Then you know Peter had said, Hey, why don't you come out and train? We we could use some extra keepers for for practice and training. So that was that's when I was still at ASU doing yeah. grad school. So yeah, so that's uh, um, it's funny how soccer brings people together, and 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 I'm grateful that I get a chance to meet you because then you introduced me to uh, rugby or what, Australian Australian, Australian uh, football. Yeah, so you you brought Jason Vanneker was playing oh. Randy Soderman. <laughs> Jason Vanacore, if you're looking, he was another one. Everyone would look at him and go, yeah, that guy's not very fast. or not going to be very good. And he would literally just kill whoever he played on. He was so good. Yeah, and Jason, by the way, I don't know if you are Facebook friends with him yep. or anything, but yeah, he's lifting like a crazy man. He's the only guy I know that's in his 50s that's in better shape than he was when he played professional soccer or in a college. So By kudos. far. JV, if you're listening, kudos to you. I'm jealous. And so Jason Vanacore was on like the national team, I think, of Australian uh, yeah. rules. And were, were you on it as well? I wasn't. It's the U.S. national team, so uh, I wasn't allowed to be on it because uh, I banned. was Australian. Yeah, it was an unfair do, advantage. Do you have your citizenship now? Uh, yep, had it now for ten, twelve years. Welcome to America. Yeah, it's funny. I remember getting my citizenship, and it, I'm like, "How long have you been here?" Everyone's like, "A year, two years." I'm like. I had to be a student, a grad student, a visa after being a student, a different visa, different visa, green card for five years before I was eligible for the citizenship. So uh, the government really made me work for it. So tell me a little bit about your, your time growing up, growing up in Australia and how you got involved in the game and soccer. Uh, when did you start playing? Well, I was a rugby player and my dad was in the Australian Navy and we got posted to England. And in England, you pretty much have a choice of well, football, but soccer, soccer, soccer. So I'd go on the playground as a you know third, fourth, fifth grader, and everyone's in playing. And every time the ball would come to me, I'd pick it up and run. <laughs> and they said, see that box? You go in there and you can pick it up and run all you want. So I got stuck as a goalkeeper then um, came back to Australia, well, like fifth, sixth grade. And then all I knew at that stage from being in England for three years was soccer. So just started playing, but I was a, a late developer. I wasn't. Very so anyone who thinks you're watching your young kids, I say this all the time to parents having coached you know, for 20, 30 years. Everyone wants their kid to be the next superstar at five, six, seven, eight, nine. God, I was probably on not even the B team, the C team, all the way up to as a 14 year old. Then something clicked. Yeah. Then I started playing from there at, at, at high level. So yeah, give kids time. Sometimes they take time to grow into it. Yep. All right, we're going to pause this podcast. I had to stop the podcast because the AC went on. I forgot to turn it off. Uh, this is a Mother's Day special, by the way. Uh, Darren, happy Mother's Day. Thank you. We say mum, M-U-M. Mum? I'm bilingual in Australian and American English. <laughs> yeah, that's how, how it is in England, England yeah, too. Exactly. So, so mum. Um, so speaking of Mother's Day, what, what are you going to do for your wife? This um, won't air until 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. On Sunday. My wife thought it was live. She's like, oh, send me the link. I want to watch it. So 
on Father's Day, I like to spend all the time with the family and the kids. I don't know if anyone else's mums or wives, she likes to go away from the family and kids. That, facts. Yeah. That's what we do at my house. So, so her and her sister have booked an Airbnb and they're going away for the weekend and I've got the kid. That's what she wants for her present. I, what I've done for the last, I think, four Mother's Day, I take all my kids, we go to my mom's house, I leave my wife home alone and it's like, she loves it. Mm-hmm. She just, people get away from me yeah. so she can recover from yeah. the insanity that you the and, family brings. You and I have cracked the code for, for Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day uh, to our wives. So hopefully they enjoyed their time away mm-hmm. as this airs live on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tuesday. This is obviously not a live show. I always do a live show and always tune in live every Sunday, 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. You can find us on uh, YouTube Live or on iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever else podcasts are found. But uh, back to Darren. Darren, uh, what is your experience with youth sports uh, in America? I mean, your, your children were born here, raised here. Um, what, what are you experiencing as far as um, their development, regardless of sport? Because they do multiple sports, right? Yeah, my son loves flag football, basketball, and soccer. He's third, but I'm keeping him, keeping him there. Um, it's been interesting. You, know, you, you start off at the... For those in Arizona, you know, like the I-9, where it's pretty much volunteer, right. parent, coach, learn rules. Then you sort of outgrow that and you go to a league and then maybe you outgrow that and go to a, a club. Um, to soccer's benefit, best organized, I think, for all its problems, youth and junior sport. Because every other sport I'm involved with, it's daddy coach. So flag, I'm lucky flag football. We have a, a phenomenal coach. But these other teams I watch, it's the dad who's never been to a coaching course, never done anything to learn ways to coach, motivate. And just the things I see, the yelling, the screaming, the, the abusive language being yelled at seven- and eight-year-olds, it, I think it's disgusting. Um, I think it's going to have mental impacts on these kids as they go forward. They're going to learn that. They're scared to make a mistake. I, I tell my kid all the time, I go, make as many mistakes as you want as long as you learn from it. But again, being a former coach, having uh, coached against you for some years, I had to catch myself. Like we would get in the car after the game and my coach brain's on. And the first thing I want to say to a seven, eight, now nine-year-old is, listen, when you went for that layup, you should." then I, I caught myself. So now I have a rule. We get in the car and I say, what are the two or three things you did really well? And we go through all the positives. And then I say, what are the one or two things you and daddy can work on this week? Because he loves going in the backyard and playing. So now it's not a, hey, I'm coming down on you. It's, hey, what's fun? What do you want to go in the backyard and practice? So not that I was one of the crazy parents swearing and berating and and beating up my kid. But as a former coach, I I had to catch myself and teach myself that's that's the rules. And that's really tough to do. Um, for me, uh, when when Jack plays uh, and it doesn't go well, or even if it goes well, he always has, like, my son's very similar to me. Like, he, whatever's in his head, it's coming out. And he, he wants to talk about the game, and it's always, a, a lot of it's pretty negative. But um, I, I don't want to talk about it. At all, and it's not by design. I really—it stresses me out. I'm like, game's over. I'm done. I'm checked out. 
And maybe it's because I'm around soccer way too much, coaching it, and all that. I just, I'm done. I don't even want to talk about it. I'm like, anything but soccer. I'm just out. I think that's, you know, kind of how I'm designed. a job, too. I mean, it, it, it is a job. It's something I don't want to be uh, all the time around. You know, like, I think that's why I kind of, I like doing the podcast and talking about it. But, um, yeah, it's it's a frustrating thing to see um, uh, the the craziness on the sideline. But um, I think that's very intelligent of you to be able to, you know, cover like three things that's, you know, very, what did you like? Being very positive about it. To, uh, that's so important to have that kind of engagement with your, um, your children because it, it takes the stress anxiety that was just provided in, in the game itself because kids put pressure on them already. So um, well, I, I applaud you for that. The, the first time I coached in the States, I was at my Hope College in Michigan and one of the people there used to coach, he said, hey, we need a, a coach this summer. I said, okay. And he goes, yeah, it's uh, at University of Notre Dame. I'm like, might as well be the University of Baked Beans. What do I know? Not understanding what a cool opportunity this is. So I got to coach camp at University of Notre Dame and got a great relationship with the former coach there on the men's side, the women's side, and did that and then my theory with coaching kids was if I can get every kid to want to come back and register the next summer, I don't make the money with they register. I get paid regardless. But that was always a goal. And then you know, um, good friends of mine who you know coached at University of Wyoming, now at Colorado, when I did the camps at Wyoming, that was always my goal and my challenge. Can I get 100% of the kids to want to come back? Like You've got to make it fun. You can challenge and you can be tough. But at that young age, if they're not enjoying it and they don't want to come back, they don't want to go to practice the next Tuesday on your club team, then it's it's not a fun experience. And kids need to have fun when they do it. it fun, really, for a lifetime. I, I've, I've changed my philosophy a lot as far as when I'm coaching and what my goals and objectives are. Um, the, the one thing that I... I tried to do is make sure they, they have skill and technique that they can use for a lifetime. So I, I've shaped my, my focus to be not, can I get them transferred to a university or anything like that or pro and just, I don't, I don't care about that. If it happens, it happens. Uh, my main focus is, uh, or my number one objective when coaching is, can I get the, the players that I have uh, stewardship over to play soccer for a lifetime. Adult league, co-ed, whatever. Do they love the game in such a way that they'll play it forever? And that's all I care about. Levels, it, I don't how, think we can control that. How many of your former players are coaching now? Oh, my gosh. There's I, too many to count? It, there, was, there was one time I, I'm coaching my son, and across the way is this big burly guy with a beard and he comes to me after uh, after the games like hey coach Cameron I'm, I'm like I don't know who you are he's like yeah you you coach you coach me at um Alfrey high school I'm like I can't recognize you with the beard so <laughs> there's like no way he has kids and stuff but yeah I mean there's, there's nothing so many. more rewarding than pick your time frame five years 10 years 15 years after you coach someone you'll get that Facebook message you'll get something you'll bump into them and they'll tell you Hey, coach, it's funny when they still call you coach when you haven't coached them for a long time. I just want to let you know, and they tell you about the impact. And I remember sometimes I've got a letter or a card, and I keep them all, um, especially with co the coaching women. 
it's it's much more emotionally rewarding than coaching men. Men are like us. They were smart asses. Uh, you know, women, they will just write you the most heartfelt letter and go, hey, I'm coaching my first high school team. I'm doing the drill that you taught us. Uh, I remember when I was a pain in the ass and you would make me run laps for coming late. And now I'm doing that to my kids and I get why you did it now. I mean, there's nothing more rewarding. As you said when you and I were walking in here, you're not doing it for the money. Um, coaching yeah. costs me every year. I mean, the amount of money right. I spent to coach cost me more than I ever made. But, hey, it's like an investment. You do things like that and you and you get a return on it. And it's, hey, it's all worthwhile. I, I had one time, I had um, uh, a goalkeeper send me a message. A player that I coached for, I think, four years in youth. And she ended up leaving me to another club. Um, and then she went on to play in New York at a Division Two. She got to the national championship yeah. game, and um, they lost in the national finals. But uh, she won in p- penalty kicks in the semis. She sent me a, a beautiful note on on uh, Facebook, uh, thanking me for teaching her all the skills, not not goalkeeper stuff, just foot skills. Because you know, I teach like reverse stepovers, all the crazy stuff, just to get them excited about the game. And uh, she. She's like, because of that, like every, it, it gave her kind of a, the confidence in such a way, but the way she wrote it was like, just grateful that she learned it, but she didn't have to send me that message. I was like 10 years removed, yeah. but she's now my assistant coach at Millennium. So I'm oh. a coach in the girls team That's at Millennium awesome. and she's uh, finally getting to coaching. She'll be an amazing coach as she progresses. But yeah, the, the relationships is, is very, very important. Um, the one thing I want to talk to you about since you're um, a goalkeeper, the the game is elevating in such a way that the goalkeepers are required to be able to handle the ball, like under extreme pressure. I don't know if you watched Champions League today, yeah, but I'm not today. Yeah, it oh, it was good, man. Oh my gosh, it was it was a high level, both sides, and uh, it, the final score was one one. But the pressure that's given to the everybody on the field and you can't lose it anywhere on the field. Uh, where was your, uh, I, I guess where we, you know, our generation and of course you're, you know, you have your youth development in England and, and Australia. Uh, how important is it to be able to receive the ball in games? Hey, futsal, you probably got a lot of repetition with the ball because you got to play backwards. Um, in the youth game here, they, they don't, the goalkeeper doesn't get the ball enough. As a whole, we don't. Well, my career capped out because I grew up, I don't know what I'm saying with you, there was no pass-back rule. Every time the ball got passed back, you could pick it up with your hands and you could oh, distribute that's it. right. So pretty much my entire career up until age 18, 19, we were never allowed to do footwork. It was goalkeepers go over there, not part of the drills. So once the, fast, the, the pass-back rule came in, didn't have foot skills. I've got much better foot skills now from coaching. But it is so important now having coached, you know, the, the JUCO keepers here when I've coached women's college soccer, God, the really good ones, it's like having, it's essentially it's a sweeper with gloves on. Um, I had a kid at MCC who went on to, to play at uh, Grand Canyon. The ball would come back to him on pressure, just never phase, take a touch to the right, take the forward out of the play, knock it up perfectly. If I'm coaching now... All my goalkeepers are doing all the foot skills, all the drills with the kids on the team, and then we'll do some goalkeeping in addition. 
Like they have to have good foot skills and they have to essentially be a sweeper. But it's funny, my um, nine-year-old went in a game and they'd gone from 5v5 where there's no keepers to 7v7. He's like, I'll go in goal. And he, he didn't know any different. He got the ball, looked up, put the ball on the ground, started dribbling it and then kicking it to players. Oh, nice. And I was going, I think he was just bored. He wanted to kick the ball. He hadn't kicked it in a while. And I was like, that's Premier League goalkeeping right there. And put it down, take a couple of touches and have a kick. So I think the really good goalkeepers I see now, see now you have to be good with your feet. And so so don't, don't let your kid specialize at a young age as a goalkeeper. Make them play on the field and do all the foot skill drills. Because ultimately we're trying to prepare the kids for the next level because technically the only team that needs to win is Phoenix College. But <laughs> anything below that, you I'm, don't I'm need to I'm waiting for a national championship from you. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm trying. You were sending out all the messages when you were in the <laughs> national championships this year. I was like, I'll, I'll fly in and we'll drive in and watch the game. Uh, well, they're in Tucson again this year. Hopefully we can uh, make a good run. And uh, speaking of goalkeeping, uh, the we played a team in the semifinals uh, against Prairie State. And Prairie State had this 25-year-old from, um, uh, where is he, from Montenegro. He was on the Montenegro national team since, six, since he's 16. He's been playing professional soccer since he was like 17. And he just shows up to this national tournament. Hadn't played during the season? He played a couple games. Okay. But um, the... We had the ball the whole time, but this keep this keeper had side volley the whole field, and and he was a man, and he was beyond. I mean, he made some saves. We should have had three, four goals, but he was just on. Um, and uh, when it gets to the you know semis and you know the knockout stages, the the amount of pressure that's upon you, um, it's harder to finish. And when you're playing a man who, in my opinion, should not have been there. And uh, we actually submitted a, a protest after the tournament just to be like, because they, they ended up winning the national title. And they should lose that national title. And if, if you don't go after those things, if you look him up on, um, if you look at him up on the, um, the transfer marketplace, he's been transferred I think 14 times to other professional teams. And he, oh, this is a, the, the worst. He played on a team that got to the fourth round of Champions League. Fourth round. And you can search on the transfer marketplace um, how many millionaires he played with on the field at the same time. Over 30. And he just shows up to America. His goal was he's trying to get on the MLS. And he'll make it. He's that good. But it's unfortunate that people... Well, I, I still believe to that level. You know, win with class, lose with integrity. I would rather. It sounds. It's easy to say when I'm sitting in a chair. Yeah. I remember coaching at, at Mesa Community College, and we'd be in a game, and there's two minutes left, and we're down, and the other team is just subbing every single play to run the clock out, and I hate that. I'm, I go, what sort of example does that set to the kids? And you can argue, hey, in NFL, you know, run the clock, do it. If I'm up 1-0, I don't mind dribbling it down into the corner if you want to do that and waste some time, but just the substitution, something to run the clock, I would never do that. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure I would. I, I did that once against, uh, when I was coaching at Millennium, and we were bad. It was my first year coaching there. So I hold, hold a couple records at Millennium, 
most wins and most losses. <laughs> and my first year there, I, I show up. Millennium's always been a powerhouse on the women's or girl side. And I show up to tryouts. I'm like, where'd the talent go? No wonder that previous coach left. And um, it, we were, we were limited on numbers. And we're playing 6A. And every Xavier, Hamilton, I mean, we're Desert Vista. We are just thrown to the monsters. And is back then, there's only, I think, 23 teams in 6A. So it was like uh, pretty difficult to play. And we won three games that year. And I thought we were done. We got the 16th seed. Wow. So we're playing the number one team. So I subbed every every time the ball just to one protect the kids and just see if I could keep it close and it was uh 1-0 with 15 minutes left we ended up losing 2-0 but that we should have lost by 10 but uh I I subbed like crazy just to avoid the, the embarrassment it would have been but no I hear you could it be different if it was the other team who was clearly better than you subbing to run the clock out yeah that, it, that I like to gamble, live by the sword, die by the sword. It's like I, I'm at two one up. I don't like going into the corner and holding the ball at the flag. I'm like, play. Don't do something silly and do a silly cross to give it the keeper a chance to to boot it back. But yeah, I want to yeah. go for three one, not hold a two one lead. And we're gonna have to pause again. Had some battery issues. We're back, um, Darren. Uh, I, I want to show you some videos. Okay. So let's check out these videos and we're going to talk about this because it is a Mother's Day show. We're going to show moms behaving the way they do on the soccer sidelines. So let's take a look. We'll discuss each one. Oh, this is actually a funny one. Yeah, I've seen this one before. Yeah. Oh. Well, she's not Australian because if she's Australian, she would have held the glass. No drink would have spilled when she was tackled and hit the ground. No, no doubt. I, I was checking to see. It has sound, I thought, but all right. Let's check out another one. This one, it, I'm assuming it has sound. Get up! Get up! Get up! There's a lot to unpack there. They're um, overdoing it. Um, telling everything to do it. Go the other way. I'll like kick it. Of course, dad popped in on the Mother's Day special. But uh, what do you experience from flag football? And, and you know, wh what are you noticing from the sidelines about, like, you have a coach. Do you, you see that in flag football too or no as far as parents trying I, I, to tell kids what to do? Earlier I said soccer is the best organizer of coaching because it tends to be club coaches, high school, who don't have a kid on the team. The parents are worse at soccer on the sideline for that exact reason. In, in basketball, we all sit there and we watch the game. In soccer, it's just the constant yelling, coaching. 
I like to think I'm pretty independent and neutral. It's like literally 70% of the time what's being told to the kid is incorrect. No, actually, you don't want your kid to do that. That's not... And if I was the coach, I would be talking to the parents like, hey, you can clap and you can cheer, but I don't want to hear anyone give advice or coaching to the kids. It's confusing to the kids. So soccer, I see, is actually the worst of that. The other sports are, are better. It, it, it is frustrating. I, I, I got out of club soccer for eight years, and I got back in because the, there was a coaching a coach that left um, so they asked me and I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And I did not want to do it. And it, once I agreed to do it, I, I couldn't sleep that night. I'm like, I cannot believe I'm back into this mess because I served my time. I don't want to be back anymore. And I, I got put back in and it was parents just around the field and screaming and yelling. And I literally would have shouting matches with these parents. I'm like, stop it. I wanted, they sat right next to me. It was so uncomfortable. And it, it was in Spanish. It was all these things, but I don't care what they're saying. Just stop doing what they're doing. They would pull kids off to the side during halftime, give them a little advice. I'm like, stop. What are you doing? Like, you, you're, then you need a coach. It was so, and, and, and it's hard. It's uncomfortable to, and I know how I am. I'm going to deal with it. And by the way, we just had tryouts. No one returned. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's well, my fault but i've we talked about it. i've got young kids my friends who have kids as teenagers i've coached that level before so it gets worse my friends who coach division one college soccer there's all the web boards out there and there'll be an anonymous user who gets on there and will say hey coach cameron uh, questioning like what you're doing with the team. Like, I don't think that you use the bench enough and you were averaging 72 minutes for these ones. And, you know, some of the kids only play. I mean, I would sometimes get on there myself and just go, hey, what, what parent are you? I'm not a parent, really, because you've put a lot of work and analysis into this. At the end of the day, there's exceptions, especially at the college level, coaches are paid to win. They're going to put what they believe is the best product on the field. So if your kid is seven right down the bench, the coach believes that that's where they should be. They're not good enough. Sometimes it's hard to look in the mirror and face some reality. But how many of them do you say, does your kid go early, stay late? How often do you play with them in the background and work on, in the backyard and work on skills? Probably not. But yeah, they're all World Cup winning coaches on the sideline. I have to always like, because I'm, I'm a parent on the sideline, and uh, my son was playing at Excel, and before that, Tuzos. And when he was playing at Tuzos, I, w- I would just stay to the side. I'm like, I don't want any manipulation whatsoever. And I don't want to feel the stress of what you soccer brings. It's so stressful. I don't know how pe- why people even do it. But um, it's just too stressful. Like, they have to win or it's just the worst experience ever. And But my son was playing poorly. So what I did was, uh, the one thing I noticed on my son at the time, he wasn't defending. He wasn't like, taking the ball away from the opposition. Very technical. He was able to distribute and dribble and all that, but he wouldn't defend. And I, I talked to him about it, and nothing changed. I'm like, okay. So what I started doing is I, I started taking stats on him. I, I created, I would I would do touches on the ball, direction of the passes, all that. And then I added uh, takeaways and takeaway assists. 
And takeaway would be by himself. And the takeaway assist was he applied pressure, used five yards around the ball, and contributed to assist. And what I noticed is his cohort, his the other 10, would uh, have like eight takeaways and like 11 takeaway assists. He was all over the place. And I would show him the data. I'm like, Here, here's the other 10. Here's you. And he was like at one and two and the other one just outworking him. And once I showed him the numbers... The next game, he was different. He was running all over the place because he knew I was doing this. And he completely changed as a defender. And then I'm like, oh, this is cool. So I, 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 would, I created an Excel spreadsheet. And I've had this on my podcast before. But um, I would list the game, the score, time on the field, um, uh, touches on the ball, direction to passes, loss of possession. Uh, like I was, I was like a baseball guy at a game, just keeping every little stat. And then before the game, I'm like, here's your stats, uh, your overall stats and all this. And I created like, you know, get to the hundred takeaway club and all that stuff. And it changes game. So parents just, you can, you can get your desired result by using math and simplifying versus screaming to be effective. Every kid gets motivated differently. Your kid's a data kid. That's awesome. You could have, if you can find that thing that they understand, they relate to, helps them like the game, you've cracked the nut. Being a goalkeeper, you're a psychologist on the field. I might have my right back here, nothing works but yelling and screaming. Come on, Dave, push up. You got. Then my left back's very fragile. Good job, Dave. Yeah, mm-hmm. keep going, buddy. You're doing a. You are literally talking to four, five, six, seven people in different ways, different things, and I think that's what helped me in in coaching having seen there and watched it all but you, you gave a perfect example all right we're back at it having <laughs> the computer shut off i'm glad this isn't a live show because it'd be devastating were you doing three jobs over there as i know it's horrible it's tough it is tough um it, during the time we were off waiting for the computer to get recharged um we're talking a little bit about um uh you wanted uh, oh your cap i wanted to you have a cap. So um, talk about caps. You know, like you have so many caps on the national team. Everyone say, hey, yeah, I got 52 caps with the U.S. national team. You literally have a cap with you. Well, I knew you wanted to talk futsal. And yeah. so um, you know, most people get they realize international players get caps, but they don't know what it is. So here's um, an example of a cap. It's like a back from the, the days probably in the 20, 1920s when the, the players would get a cap. So you get a cap and it'll be embroidered with the game that you played in the information and you go to anyone on the English national team, the Italian team, they'll have, should have all of their caps for every single game that they play. So it's an old school tradition ones. They did a special one for our team that went to the uh, Soviet Union. Where did that come from? Do you have any idea? If you probably go back in the day, I think they wore caps, you know, either where they were wearing it to the game or... um, and the same thing, I think in cricket, you use it as well. You get a you get a cap. So I think it's just the old school. You would back then, you weren't embroidering your jersey and giving your jersey away. Your jersey had to stay with you. That's when, yeah. the, when people say you're in the starting eleven. It's because every game the numbers one to eleven were given out. You didn't get to keep a number and say, "I want 63. <laughs> I got to tell you a funny story about um, uh, when I was picking my number. I I, I I got I was on trial with the Rapids. And I went for a try tryout, did well, mainly because it snowed like 10 inches. So we played inside on turf and that's where I came from. This is 
during my indoor career. And I got invited to go to Florida for spring training. And the coach at the time, uh, they had a change in coaches uh, from the first tryout to uh, spring training. And uh, we had uh, 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 we're picking jerseys for our games. And, of course, I'm not doing anything because I was letting all the main players get their jersey. And I waited, waited, and there's always one jersey left over. And it was, like, number 10. So I wore number 10. Normally the first one to get picked. Yeah. So I, I, I wore it. And then did the same thing the next game, number 10. Third game, number 10. And I, ne- I warmed up for every game but never got put on. And I was like, what? What the heck? Why am I even here? Like, and I, I had no idea. So, I, you know, I met with the coach after. Oh, I forgot his name. He just passed away. Um, what was his name? I missed. Uh, anyways, I forget his name, but. I didn't understand why. So thanks for the opportunity. Just left one back home. I find out like 10 years later from Mike Duhaney who played for him. And he told me, uh, I kind of told him that story about my experience with him. And I'm like, I don't even know why they brought me out. And he goes, you're probably wearing number 10. And I'm like, how'd you know I was wearing number 10? He go, he just died laughing, uh, let, letting uh, me know that he hates number 10. It's like anyone wears 10, that's not a true 10. And I wasn't a 10. I was 7'11". I, I just ran with pace. And I wasn't a messy at all. So if you wore 10, you were done. And yeah, who knows? Fate. <laughs> your, your die was cast. Yeah. But I'm glad that you mentioned, I love the fact that you embrace play futsal, the indoor soccer. You look at the most creative players in the world, Brazilian, South Americans, they all play futsal growing up. It's where you get your foot skills as a young kid. Um, even when I was a goalkeeper, people used to say, oh, futsal's bad for you. And I'm tall, I'm, I'm 6'4". But that's what, what got me to what I did was reflexes. I had really good reflexes for a tall person. I could get down low, but futsal, um, it, it, I think it's great for kids and their development. I think everyone should have their kids playing futsal. It's better than indoor soccer because of the walls. It, futsal, the ball travels so fast and it's a flat surface, uh, the ball will go out of bounds. So you have to trap it a certain way. You have to pass it with precision or you won't you won't have success at all. And the heavier, smaller ball allows you to do the, the things that you said you like doing, the stepovers, the moves. That's where you learn that with a futsal ball because yeah. it's technically easier to do than a, a big soccer ball that's going to roll away from you. It, and, and kids are resilient. I mean, you put them in a, in a situation, they'll keep trying it over and over again. They, they, they will solve the problem. Um, they'll find ways to be successful in that environment. That Futsal is huge on that. Even on indoor. So indoor, I was never a technical player. Um, I was fast. I worked hard. I'm technical today, but it's because I learned from Terry Woodbury, Chris Scotty, you know, uh, even um, uh, Soderman's, uh, Van Acor. I learned so much from indoor players because they had that experience of what you do in this situation, this what you do in this situation. And in indoor and futsal, even more so, you're under so much pressure of the, the, there's no space to play. Can't just kick and run. You have to think. You have to... Um, be creative with the ball or you, you will not survive. And I was forced to learn creativity in a late 
late part of my soccer career. I wish I was in that environment as a kid because it would it would have shifted my uh, well, development. You, you had the speed and the fact that you would run through a brick wall, literally. With this, isn't it funny? We as we get older and don't play and coach, our foot skills and our 